following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And, and this, this is, is Box, Box Office, Office 30. 30's review of White Men Can't Jump. I'm Pete, and as usual, I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host, Michael. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm well, thank you. I am, you know, a little bit in a food coma still from, <laughs> from Easter, but overall, no complaints. Nice. Yeah, so, I, I didn't go so deep on on uh, heavy food this year, so I'm I'm doing pretty well. I've steered mostly clear of the candy, you know, things like that. So <laughs> I I did avoid the candy. I I you know, it just we went to my in laws' house, and my mother in law puts out like like a smorgasbord of of gigantic things and portions, and it's like endless appetizers. And I was just sort of like, oh boy. <laughs> Nice. And, you know, it's one of those things that just kind of takes you down a little bit. But it was good. Can't complain. You know, good little holiday. It's kind of chilly today, which is a bit of a bummer. But, you know, overall, no complaints. Yeah, I'm a little sad. While, while that was the case for you, I was away for um, a week down in Florida. Just tried to get away and get a little warm weather. And while we were down there, it was warm, but it was also like extremely windy the whole time. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe I can borrow a little bit of this, bring it back up here. Came back on Friday. Saturday was stunning. Beautiful day. And then as soon as we hit like Sunday and today, it's like kind of cold and windy. And I'm like, <laughs> so I don't know. I'm hoping we get past all this back to some some better weather. Yeah, same here. You know, it's you can't predict the weather anymore. I've given <laughs> up and – April has been so rainy in the tri-state area that it's just like, all right, already. Let's 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 get out of this nonsense here. Well, speaking about getting out of this, because now we're just talking weather. <laughs> the, the cold weather's good weather for watching thirty-year-old movies, and boy, do we have a good one this month. Tell them about the movie, Mike. <laughs> so, as many of you have have known, or from listening to the last podcast, this month we are doing white men can't jump. And admittedly, I will be honest with you, I thought this was Pete's month to take the notes and not mine. <laughs> so I went into this movie watching like, oh, this is great. Yeah, I'm just zoning out, just kind of half attention span. And then I texted him today like, oh, so how's the notes going? He's like, you mean your notes? And I was like, oh. <laughs> so, so in fairness, this is probably somehow my fault because – 
like a week and change ago, I think you wrote me like several things in a text. And one of those things was whose month is it for notes? <laughs> now, given you are a 40 year olds, almost man. And if you, if you go back, maybe that's, that's what's working against you. If you go back, it's like, I did father of the bride in January. You did Wayne's world in February. And then I did Vinny in March, which would mean here you are again back at yours, but you asked, which was a red flag. And I think I might not have answered, which was a bad decision. (laughs) I should have just reinforced it there. The best part of this was then like this morning and like Michael, usually when he writes the note, like me, like I do the notes in Google docs and then I send them to him like about like 10 minutes before the show starts. When Michael starts watching a movie, he does it in like the what is it like the notes app on on the, the iPhone on my so, iPad actually. So yeah. I get like an immediate like request like you know via text message like Michael is creating notes <laughs> and you can watch him typing the notes in real time and I'm always like I really should just start typing gobbledygook in here and then <laughs> mess with you as you're doing it, but. Um, I didn't see that show up. So that was another red flag. (laughs) And then this morning I was just like, so how are those notes going? And you're just like, you mean your notes? Like, and I'm like, no, yours. And you're like, no, I did my cousin Vinny. I'm like, no, I did my cousin Vinny. (laughs) So I was just like, all right, here we go. So this guy's just like, all right, you know what? I'm going to rewatch the movie now and like dive through these again. Yes. So let me ask you, did you genuinely rewatch the movie twice for this? Yes, Yes, I rewatched it twice. Very nice. I was like, oh boy, here we go. So I just, I kind of like fast forwarded through moments that I remembered. (laughs) But, but overall I watched, I'd say 85% of it twice. Nice. It's like, oh, man, whatever. But, you know, I, I have a lot of thoughts about this movie. And, you know, I was considering doing like a character study flow of the movie sort of thing. But it's just sort of becoming our like version of we were lazy and didn't want to go deep notes. on a movie. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but as I'm watching the movie, it really kind of starts out with this, you know, a little bit of an ensemble cast with a mixture of different characters, but then it gets smaller and smaller and dwindles down to like just the two main leads as the story progresses. And I'm like, well, that can't work. So I guess I got to actually really do notes. Yeah. And, and I will also say that this morning I get like a target notification that the white men can't jump two pack Funko pop set is now available or, or for pre-order or something. And I had this moment of weakness where I was like, do I want to buy this thing? Do I want to buy it? I said, Every time you think you're out, they pull you they back, back in. in. <laughs> but I said to myself, let me rewatch the movie for now a second time in 36 to 48 hours. And then I will make my decision. No, the answer is no. <laughs> so let me just jump in here because just to give a little context for those who might not know, because you probably mentioned it on Wizards, but I don't know if it's just in general public knowledge. Michael is a prolific collector of Funko Pops to the it point. Used to be. Yeah, I should say, yes, used to be. To the point that you had like probably like at least like a thousand at some point. Two thousand. He's, he's, he's miming to me through the thing here. Um, and I believe it. Like there was tons and tons and tons of them. He had them really cool display all over his office. But then like, 
you know, I, <laughs> I've been like razzing him for years. Like this is going to go the way of the beanie babies for you, which is like, these are going to be worth so much money. I'm going to collect them. I'm going to hold on to them. I'm going to sell them. I'm going to put my kid through college. And it they didn't were, take uh, you, to be honest, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. It didn't take you quite as long as I thought you would have to hang on to them and be like, you know what? I'm going to start selling these. But in fairness, you have made some decent money off of like kind of reselling them. I think it's been a pain in your butt because like, you know, you're not doing like a lot of 100. You've been kind of doing them like one here, two here together. Well, like in, in- it, it depends. I, I will be honest. So I feel that the Funko Pops were the NFTs of the 2010s. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and you know there's certain ones that I, that yielded a, a good return on investment and other ones like i have a couple over here now that i couldn't give away like yeah. could not give away and in some cases like that he ends up often giving them to me yes. <laughs> yes. so for these texts like you want this <laughs> For example, the Suicide Squad boomerang. I couldn't give that away for 99 cents on eBay. Couldn't give it away. Well, it's so funny because, like, I think probably the collecting of these was birthed out of your, like, love of Batman and things like this originally and, you know, certainly other pop culture things. But then sometimes you'll show me either when I come over or, like, you'll, like, text me, like, what do you think of this one or whatever? Stuff that I'm like... I had no clue you had any interest in that whatsoever. So, like, point in case, like, I know that you like this movie, but would I have ever put money on you being like, oh, damn, I got to get the white men can't jump Funkos? <laughs> like, probably if they were on a shelf, I'd be like, what are these? <laughs> like, you probably wouldn't even, like, recognize them. I didn't I didn't do it. I didn't pull the trigger. Um, I will be honest. But, yeah, you know, I don't know. I, there, there were some that sold pretty well and some that, like, for Star Wars in particular – Funny enough, Star Wars was very hard to sell individually. I had to sell the entire, like, Force Awakens lot. In some ways, I'm not surprised by that. Like, just knowing Star Wars and Star Wars collectors, like, I don't know if we're, like, a lazy group or what, but there's definitely, like, like I used to collect – this is totally random, and they're all displayed up here above me right now. I used to collect um, the Star Wars line of figures from – there was a Disney game, Disney Infinity. And like, I barely ever played the game, but I just really liked the art style of the figures. Um, I'll grab one and show you. <laughs> but I uh, I randomly started collecting these. And like, same thing. Like, I was trying to find some of them individually, but then it often became easier to just find lots of them. Like, yeah. So like the entire Star Wars Rebels lot on eBay or things like that. Um, so I don't know, maybe we're just a, a lazy collector type when it comes to figures or something. Like I have, um, if anybody's interested, I, I found <laughs> one that I missed. My, I, at, at this point in time, Michael's going to step in and list all the, uh, Funkos that are for sale and available. I, 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 interested. <laughs> I've got, I've got one exclusive Ray Force Awakens. <laughs> I've got the original Spider-Man, the original Captain America from like, 2011 like they're vintage now this me checking Dwayne reeds around manhattan oh, to see if certain exclusives oh, were <laughs> so many Dwayne reeds and targets and walmarts <laughs> and uh it was it was 
it was unhealthy. we used to go check the the bookstore at the college <laughs> yes i found i found a couple of chases there believe it or not like for for uh Stranger Things, and then I just unloaded them all in one big lot because nice. I was like, I had them, I didn't care, got rid of them, and I sold them before the pandemic. I bet <laughs> if I had waited until the pandemic, I would have cleaned up on those stimulus checks, yeah, stimulus money. Yeah, <laughs> but well, anyway, I have two takeaways uh, from this portion of the conversation, which is that, or at least one takeaway with two um, vectors on it. Over on our our T Public store or some other type of store, we need to start selling Funko Pops of us. Oh, we have three Funko Pops. We have Funko Pops. Yes, I made Mike some custom, or I ordered Mike some custom ones of of us. The second thing is we definitely need a box office thirty NFT. (laughs) Oh, that would be fantastic. Get get in like that one uh, that was in the news lately, where the guy bought like Jack Dorsey's original tweet for like two point nine million and went to try and sell it at auction the other week. And somebody gave him like a bit of $70 and then eventually a bit of like $259, (laughs) something dumb like that. So anyway, (laughs) we, we've gone on two tangents already and we're only 13 minutes in. So I will also point out listeners, (laughs) buckle up, baby. There we go. Um, I will point out that while watching this movie for the second time, I was mildly excited for the potential watching of the unofficial sequel to this movie, Money Train, which comes in a few years. <laughs> nice. Now, I don't know how familiar I am with Money Train. So what what puts this into the sequel territory for you? It's, it's not really a sequel. It's just it's just <laughs> Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. Oh, to it's get literally to- the two of them back in the same movie. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm like – Pulling it up here. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're basically together, totally different characters, but um totally different hair. Oh my god, look at yeah. that hair on Woody. <laughs> but essentially, uh Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes play brothers that are also like metro uh subway cops and they want to rob a train, a money train. And I think instead like I think Jennifer Lopez is the love interest in that movie. As opposed to Rosie Perez in this movie, but otherwise it's it's the same movie, same same nice. plot essentially. Nice in a, in a way. So, anyway, I digress. What do you got for us? What, do we want to dive into the notes? How do you want to go about this? Yeah. So um, let me start off by just uh, prefacing again. Like when Michael does the notes, I still try and do my thing of finding some some extra sources of info, and I was able to find some things. I didn't go on too deep a. Uh, uh, down the rabbit hole on this one, but what is kind of cool, and I would point it out to people who are interested in this. Um, first of all, and I, I mentioned this on social media, if you'd like to rewatch the movie, you can certainly pause the podcast here and go back and rewatch it. It's available right now on Hulu. Um, so uh, definitely an easier to, to grab streaming option. Um, but if you are one of these people like me who lucked in on um, like one of these, Verizon Disney bundle multi-plans or whatever. <laughs> if you have ESPN Plus, there's actually a really cool um, 30-year documentary. Um, not even really a documentary. It's it's really just like a like a reunion um, sort of thing that they put together um, where they got uh, the director and Woody and Wesley back together in a room uh, to basically like, you know, talk about the movie after 30 years. And they did a Zoom with Rosie at one point, because I guess she was in Brooklyn. Um, but uh, it was just kind of fun. And they had some, you know, little behind the scenes stuff and just talking about like 
how the movie had like an effect on their careers and things like that. Like particularly like Woody Harrelson, like um, this was his first like starring role in a movie that wasn't, wasn't yeah, well, that's, what, that's what Ange came down and said to me. Cause like she, she was like, took the kids and put them to bed while I was watching the movie last night. And she came down and caught the tail end of it. And she sort of said that to me. She's like, what is Woody doing at this point? Is it really just cheers? And I was like, I think cheers might've been off the air at that point. And the reality was no, actually it was still going yeah. for another year into 93. Um, but he talks about it, like in, in this little like documentary, he's like, you know, for me, um, like, especially back at that point in time, it's something that I think you and I haven't really talked as much about on this podcast. So I thought it was an interesting point that nowadays, um, actors constantly transition from TV into movies, from movies back to TV, you know, used to be a big taboo, Mm -hmm. like, oh, you're on the silver screen or you're just like somebody on TV. You know, and so like for somebody like him who had been doing Cheers for all that time and, you know, certainly somebody that could get kind of locked in typecast on certain, you know, sort of way in that thing. This was kind of a break for him. And so he kind of credits it um, as such. And really same thing with Rosie Perez. Like they were telling a story um, that as written uh, originally, her character was just like middle class white woman. And, Mm -hmm. And, you know, like they were looking for actresses to fill that role. And the casting director was like, I've got this girl, Rosie Perez. She's Latina. Like, would you mind if I bring her in? And he's like, all right, yeah, why not? And like, it changes the whole movie, you know? And like, you know, and she, same thing, sort of said like, it, it you know, like sparked her career. And like, I, what was cool, and of course, you know, it's something that like an actor will say on, on any given movie, but I genuinely believe them with this, um, is several of them mentioned during the course of it that like, it was probably the most fun they had Filming a movie. movie. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, throughout their career. So that not only did it kind of um, push several of them into like the next level of the stratosphere on their careers, but it also like became like a super memorable experience for them, too, which is pretty cool. So, I mean, I've got some other little tidbits as we as we go through your notes and things like that. Um, Like I said, it's not as many as I normally am able to find because I didn't (laughs) admittedly spend enough time searching. But um, there was some cool stuff to be to be learned in this uh, little documentary. So I'll share it as we go. So I'll start off by saying that I think what is most liked about this movie is Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson are so charming for most of the movie and they're just they're likable guys in in Hollywood or entertainment that makes you like them. As I say this though, as the story progresses, my my opinions might <laughs> weave and change a little bit. Yeah, um, well no, I mean I I think at least in one key aspect you're completely right, which is that like despite some of the turns these characters make and some of their choices and things like that. Um, at the end of the day, like they're kind of like fast talking, like fun to watch. Um, and, and they feel very real, you know, yeah. like I, I, for me, like I said, I couldn't remember if I had seen this movie or hadn't seen it in a long time. I'm still not terribly much more clear on that after watching it. I think it's probably where I had seen it, but it was just a really long time ago. Um, but I, I sort of had an impression of this movie in my mind as being kind of more of like a like a B movie, like kind of being like schlocky kind of jokes and like schlocky kind of setting. And the reality was this movie felt really 
different than what you're normally expecting something like this to feel like. Mm-hmm. It, I, you know, I, one of the things I did watch kind of in, in looking at, um, you know, some of the background info is I found Siskel and Ebert's um, kind of info and, and, you know, review on this. And it's fun digging that up when I can find it. And both of them have very positive um, outlooks on the movie, um, which I think is always interesting because usually they seem to be at odds about a lot of these things. But um, one of the things that they were kind of pointing out about this, and it really kind of rung true then, I sort of had it in my head, but I wasn't putting words to it, is um, they kind of didn't go with the stereotype um, sort of aspects that you would expect of a movie like this. Funny no, enough, I thought that, that throughout the whole movie, I'm like, wow, they did, they, like this should have been like cue montage here or like cue the exactly, yeah. Really- well, like you know, like one of the things that really is in some ways worked as a positive, in some ways worked as a negative for me, is you've seen Rudy and you've seen the Mighty Ducks and you've seen all these like you know sports movies over time, where it gets to this sort of cliche level of like. You know, the underdogs got to rise up and do a thing and, and you know, you're going to show them getting better at it. And then eventually they'll either win and it'll be amazing or they lose in the end, but they, they're a good sport or whatever sort of thing. And this movie is funny because, it, like I was going to say, like Siskel and Ebert were calling it a romantic comedy. And first of all, I don't think I would have ever thought of classifying this as a romantic comedy, but in some ways it kind of is. In a lot more ways, it's more of a sports comedy. I would almost say it's um, a, in ways it's almost a dark comedy in a way. Yeah, in some cases, yeah. Um, but what was cool is like it just felt really real. It felt um, like despite – like I didn't know who the people were. I found out afterwards that most of the people they're playing against throughout the movie are like actual basketball players yeah. like from the NBA and things like that. You know, like I start paying a lot more attention to that around like Chicago Bulls in 95 and, <laughs> and Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan at all. Um, you know, so like some of the people that were in this movie I just were unknown to me until I started learning about it after the fact here that they were actual basketball players. But – they don't feel like these big over the top personalities. They just feel like grounded guys that you could expect to see on a court playing two versus two in Los Angeles. And that's some of the other cool things that, that sort of popped up and I might be getting slightly ahead. I see here in your notes, like towards number three, but another couple of things that were really surprising to me about this movie is that um, it was really also about the city of LA. Yeah. And that area. Yeah. Uh, and like not like like extremely well-known spots. I mean, they get over to Venice Beach and things like that, but like kind of more like just like interior, like like more everyday L.A. And the other kind of cool thing was like the aspect of music in this movie, like that they really did an exploration on like, not really? only like the modern like hip hop and stuff that was going on you know, subsequent to this movie, which they used a lot in the soundtrack. But um, just like, <laughs> I mean, again, I don't want to dive too much yeah, into your, to mean, your notes on you here. I mean, but they, like, they cover Jimi Hendrix. They cover uh, country music, yeah. like soul music. Like music is a major influencer. In but like right off the bat, like one of the coolest little beats in the movie, which I wasn't expecting – was this kind of like riff that they come in on the movie and they incorporate it right into the 20th century Fox 
logo. Yeah. Like that. Da, 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 da. And then Ange, of course, has to be like, it, it, the Simpsons did it better with, with what's his face. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it was, it was pretty cool how they, um, how they wove all those sort of disparate threads together. Yeah. Um, and it, it, interestingly enough, it actually turns out that um, the director uh, Ron Shelton. Ron Shelton, thank you. I wasn't ready. The director, Ron Shelton, had a lot of background in this. Like he was essentially almost like a Woody Harrelson type character. That he was sort of like a white guy who loved playing street ball, like in L.A. and things like that, and um, basically knew some of these neighborhoods and, and knew some of this stuff. So he actually wrote from some of his experience into this. I kept saying to myself, the movie feels somewhat like semi-autobiographical because some of the dialogue just doesn't feel like it can be written. It had to have been improvised. And some of the story scenarios feel like they came from something somewhere. It just didn't manifest. Uh, you know, it, it feels like it stemmed from from the, the director or the right, which is the same person that wrote and directed. But, you know, it just feels like it came from that. And it does feel like the city is a major focal point in this story. I do remember in the news that it was being featured as being the movie to this point that had the most F words or something like that. (laughs) I don't doubt it. Yeah. I mean, that's again, one of the cool things in this, I know we're getting more into your character study than the actual following the course of the movie, but um, the dialogue is sort of surprising in so much as that, they like you say i think i think a lot of it is written to a direction but then they kind of have like freewheeling ability to just kind of take off and do what they will in this right like the, the amount of yo mama jokes whatever that they that <laughs> go on i'm like there's no way that somebody wrote those jokes they just came out of nowhere like your mom is an astronaut. Where does that even come from? <laughs> well, so like, so here's one of those behind the scenes things. So like, they basically had, like had a whole thing with several of the people that were like actually characters in the movie, but also like street basketball hustlers and whatever. That, but also like, just like be like, they would send the crew home at night and be like, try and think of your best yo mama jokes, bring them back in tomorrow and let's compile them and pull the best stuff out. So like some of it is just like rattling right off the top of their, heads and then some of it is like um you know very you know just like you know more thought out or whatever but um it, uh, his buddy junior who's played by um kadeem hardison yeah um apparently he's responsible for like most of that like like oh, apparently that was his thing he's just like a really funny guy like he improv the um we're going to sizzla thing mm-hmm. which again maybe you'll know this maybe you'd be surprised to know this he basically admits that he stole that from Eddie Murphy because he's like, there's a bit that Eddie Murphy does where he's like, you got no ice cream. You got no ice cream. And he's like, I literally stole that cadence and the idea of it and was like, we going to sizzle. But like that was just like improv on the day of like, like the uh, Ron Shelton was saying, he's like, he had maybe like 15 lines in the whole, in the whole movie, movie yeah. in the script. But then, like, when, like, the movie was going, like, he just was, like, popping stuff in constantly. And he's, like, it's all, like, a tribute to just the fact that, like, he'd be popping out with this stuff on set and we were dying. So we had to include it, like, in the film. <laughs> I, I fully believe that, 100%. Um, I, you know, I, I'm going to try. I have a lot of notes here. I'm going to skip over some of them and just kind of keep going through. 
So I, I do find that the chemistry between the two leads, how they kind of bounce off of each other, you know, they're friends one minute, they're rivals the next. And it's very fun. It's very strong. And it's, it's very interesting, uh, especially when they're first meeting, when they first play basketball against each other. And, you know, everybody throughout the whole movie calls Woody Harrelson a chump because he's just like <laughs> goofy looking white dude on the basketball courts with this weird tie-dye hat that kept <laughs> kept reminding me of almost like that like uh vinyl reflective hat from go from back to the future too you know yes yes <laughs> no yeah definitely <laughs> and i kept saying like man these hats must be so sweaty <laughs> so gross well the other funny thing too that i was thinking with that and again like whatever the style was in the 90s cuz there were certainly some choices in the 90s but I love how Wesley Snipes is basically wearing cyclist hats all movie. All movie. <laughs> like, I'm like, what on earth? Like, where would that have come from? Like, I don't know if that was a thing in the culture anywhere else or if it's literally just something that they made this character choice with this character that he's going to wear, like, these specifically all, like, bicyclist, like, cycling, like, competition sort and of And he never rides a bike hats. in the whole movie. No. <laughs> it never even mentions a bike. So, I don't know. It's it's It just really cracked me up, for sure. Yeah, the costuming in the movie is, is very of the era and very funny in a lot of ways. I don't understand why... Uh, Wesley Snipes had always had two tank tops on that were, like, the loosest fitting tank tops I've ever seen in my life. It's just bizarre. Um... So after they have the first game where Woody Harrelson proves that he's actually a good basketball player and then they do like a, a round of horse with him and Wesley Snipes and, and Woody would win some money, um, I could refer to them by their names. Woody Harrelson's character's name was Billy. Wesley Snipes' character's name was Sidney. But to me, they're just Woody and Wesley on, <laughs> on screen. But we finally meet uh, Rosie Perez's character, whose name is Gloria, and – I knew that she was smart. I knew that I remember her being intelligent, that she wanted to get on Jeopardy. I didn't realize or didn't remember the amount of studying and effort she put into learning everything. And she's like studying the almanac. And they even in their apartment or hotel room or wherever they're hiding out, uh, there's pictures of presidents on the walls and maps and post-it notes all over the place. Like she's really trying to train her brain with all of this knowledge to qualify to get onto Jeopardy. Yeah. And it's such an interesting character trait because this is something that I wished I could have found information on, but I wasn't able to dig it up and they didn't really mention it in the, in the documentary thing that I watched. Like why, like where did this come from? Like, is it that they knew somebody in real life who was like training real hard to get on Jeopardy? I mean, like, I feel like, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn, I feel like probably most people at some point in their life have known somebody who's like, oh, I'd really like to get on a game show of some kind or another. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like I've known some people, like I knew somebody who really did want to actually be on Jeopardy and things like that. But like, it just seems like such a, like a weird like if you just take a step back and look at these characters, you got this one guy who's like a basketball hustler, puts every bit of effort into looking and acting like he doesn't know anything about it just so he could cheat people out of money. Mm -hmm. And then his girlfriend's whole thing in life is like just nonstop, as you say, studying, 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 like pursuing constantly 
wanting to get on Jeopardy. Right. Like to the point that I don't think she actually does anything else. Like no. that's, that's she really, doesn't, she doesn't have a job. Her job is basically to learn how to get on. And it's so funny because her character, she steals the show on any Agreed. scene that she's in. Agreed. And Agreed. yet, if you that's really look at her character, it's fairly one dimensional. It's yeah. like, she really has like one motivation. That's all she wants to do. She's hanging around with this kind of a bum of a guy who treats her really poorly mm-hmm. and keeps doing it and keeps doing it. And she keeps letting him get away with it. So it's nice to see like a twist towards the end, but like, it's really like a weird character. <laughs> yeah, And it's, it's funny because this might be my favorite Rosie Perez role that she's done in movies because her character is interesting in every scene, but yeah, it's weird. Like, she doesn't have a job. Like she's fully reliant on him making money. And yet there is this whole element of like hiding from the mob, which we're going to get to in a few minutes. That, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to the story. But yeah, I just don't understand what that whole thing was. But but yeah, it's it's bizarre. So anyway, as I said, there's this whole element where for some reason these like mob guys are after – uh, Woody Harrelson's character for I think it was like seven grand or something like that. Yeah, it was like seven grand and change and the the reason they give is that he somehow got hooked up with them that they were going, he was going to like be playing a game really well and then basically like take a dive, like he right. was going to lose. But then as we find out about this character he kind of gets too much into his own head and too much into the idea of like, like his whole thing. He says it, it's, it's like several points during the movies. He's like, like he starts referring it to it in like the terms of black person and white person. But he's like, you can just tell that his whole thing is he has to win. He right. doesn't care if he looks bad doing it, but he has to win. So for him, like taking this dive on a game is like the worst possible choice he could have made. And so then he's like in it with this like, mob whatever you want to call them because they take kind of an interesting twist um as well and for me that storyline is kind of the weakest, the weakest point part of the whole movie and interestingly far. enough they mentioned this also in the siskel and ebert thing like that even though they think it, it took like a a very different twist than you might expect with them by the end of the movie that like that same old you know tired plot line of like I'm in it with the mob and they're going to kill me unless mm-hmm. I can get their money back in a week. It's like, that was like the weakest portion of this, yeah. you know? And it's almost irrelevant to the story in a lot of ways. Like it just, it, it's a convoluted sort of a mess, that part of the story that I don't particularly like, but you know, otherwise the movie is enjoyable in a lot of its other cases. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about the mob as, as time progresses. So basically Sydney shows up at their apartment and says that he wants to get into this two on two tournament. But in order to do so, we need to like, you know, hustle some people on a couple of different courts and like learn to play together, make a little bit of extra money before we go into this big tournament. And we, when we learned that Billy played college ball at some school, I think it was like in Kentucky or something like that. And then he got, got into hustling on, on the courts and, Throughout the movie, he sort of like loosely drops like he played in New York, he played in New Jersey, and then somehow he made his way out to California and he's been doing this whole hustling gig for a while. And, you know, the first time that they do this hustle is really fun and they go to this court and like he's this goofy looking dude and 
and Sydney, Wesley Snipes' character, challenges these two guys to to play, and I think it was something like you know five hundred dollars, right? Yeah, the hustle amounts keep slowly ramping up throughout the like the first time that he wins, it's like sixty one bucks or something, right? And then it starts like slowly ramping up. <laughs> yeah, so. So the guy goes, okay, let me just go to the glove compartment and get my extra money. He goes to the glove compartment. He pulls out a ski mask and a gun and tries to rob a bodega. And the bodega owner's like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> Give me that gun. And you're like, he takes the gun. Well, no, like he's like, I know it's you. And then he's like, he switches tactics immediately. And he's like, you know what? This is a bad neighborhood. Maybe you should buy a gun. So then he's like trying to sell him yes. the gun. He was just trying to hold him up. <laughs> It's really and then, a funny and then, like, scene. He ends up uh, like realizing that he's been hustled by the two of them after the game. Yeah, and then he's like, "I'm going back gun. to my glove box and get my other gun and just start shooting everybody." <laughs> and it's really, it's really a great scene. It's super funny. Um, and another one where, based off of like Ron Shelton's life, he was talking about. I think the guys even named the same name. I think they gave the the character the same name as the guy he knew in real life, where he like showed up to the court in like LA like to play and it was like all locked up and they're like, what's going on? It's like, Oh, well, whatever the guy's name was Gary, whatever. It's like, Oh, you know, Gary. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, Gary, like, uh, you know, got like pissed off cause there was like a fight going on and he went to, went to the glove box, you know, he had to go to the glove box. So like same kind of a thing, like he like kind of based like some of the origin of that out of, out of like a real life story, but I believe it fully. I just fully how that scene plays out is so funny. And that's like one of the people who's a genuine, basketball player in yeah. the NBA. Unfortunately, I'm just going to not know any of their names, so I That's apologize okay. in advance. But um, it was also funny because in the the uh, documentary, like Wesley Snipes was talking about, like in that scene when they're playing, they had to do this like particular like layup or dunk several times or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, he said to him, he's like, oh, just so you know, like movie basketball is not the same as actual basketball. He's like, I know you guys are really good at basketball, but he's like, movie basketball is not the same. So that guy then was saying, he's like, I had to come in and like do that same dunk like 30 times on like 30 different takes or whatever. And then he's like, by that night, I was like, I can't even move. (laughs) So just very funny. That is funny. So after they run off, they jump into the, this like convertible that Billy has and uh, Gloria's in the car studying and they drive off and they had this, interesting little conversation about music and uh, Jimi Hendrix and other music. It, it's interesting. It's kind of fun the way they talk about it, but it like, it goes on a little bit too long. And at this point, I remember that this movie has a lot of really fun parts, but then there's a lot of parts in this movie that just kind of drag <laughs> out a little bit too long. And it's fine. It's a cute little scene. But they go to drop off Sydney, and then he starts saying like inappropriate things about Gloria to Billy, and we we see for the first time Billy has this really hot head, and like it's really defensive, really fast, and it 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 happens so much in the movie that like it almost you're getting hit over the head with it, but. Sydney admits right then and there. He's like, see, I found your weakness and I figured it out really fast. I figured out you're a hothead and I figured out that your girl is your weakness. And this sort of creates their sort of, you know, tenuous partnership and, and like uncomfortable situation where 
you know, you think they're going to be friends, but, you know, they sort of get kind of nasty with each other at certain points in the movie for various issues and various reasons. Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually, I got really caught off guard. And again, I don't want to get too far ahead of your notes, but there's like a like a twist that occurs between the two characters that I, I didn't really see coming. Yeah. Um, and and I, it, it yeah, really I, like made me feel bad. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like they're not friends now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I think a lot of the movie deals with race yeah. uh, in an interesting way and sort of like stereotypes and subverting expectations. Um, and they kind of make each of those characters a microcosm for that. Like they kind of look at each of them like, here's everything you expect I would be. Here's everything you expect you would be. And it kind of goes back and forth like that. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of handled – Interestingly. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. So after that, uh, Billy and Gloria get home and they're excited that they won the money, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then all of a sudden, I guess the mob finds them and they need to escape the apartment. They jump, they run, they run, you know, a f- forever, it feels like. And they had this really cool shot of them running over this bridge over one of like the I don't know if it's the 105 or the 305, one of the over, one of the big throughways in in Los Angeles, and uh, the 405. Maybe I don't know. It doesn't matter. But, um, <laughs> Something with know, a five in it. Yeah, exactly. They all got five. In it. But it's a cool little shot. And now um, they get away. And here's where things get a little bit peculiar to me: is that. Um, like they ran away from their apartment. They ran away from most of their stuff. They ran away from their car. And throughout this whole movie, Billy's carrying this guitar and we never really see him play the guitar or anything. Like it just seems like this guitar is important to him, but we don't see him play it for most of the movie. And I'm like, why is this guitar so significant? And we'll, we'll learn about that later. Um, but it's just sort of weird. Um, so, now we go and see the next day we see Sydney and his wife. They're looking to either buy a house or rent a house of some sort in like a better neighborhood than where they live. And it's a cute little moment, nice little story. And she wants a better life for her, for her and their son and, and have a better place to live. Um, and it's, it's a nice moment. And then, Sydney tells Billy we're going to go to this new game and it's a, it's a big money game and, and like we can win a decent amount of money. And so they, they play against this team. They do this interesting hustle, but for some reason, Sydney's playing badly and they have like $1,700 on the line here and he's playing really bad. And you see them sort of fighting throughout and disagreeing with one another and you find out basically that Sydney used his friends and the three of them hustled Billy out of all of Billy's money. And this is what Pete was saying about this yeah. weird sort of twist that like you don't see coming. And it almost like makes you dislike I, – I, for me, it almost made me dislike the movie because it goes so far – the other direction from where we're accustomed to in movies 
that I was almost like, wow, they really. Well, they like take the wind out of your sails twice in a row, because first of all, if you don't see it coming, the first thing is like they have all this money on the line and they're about to like make it. And it's like they lose their money. They lose the game. Yeah. And you can like they've been fighting with each other. You can see like they're exacerbated and everything. And then like he gets back and talks to Rosie and she immediately sees through it. She's like, oh, yeah, like you got hustled. And he's like, what? No, no, I didn't. You know, and I don't know if it's him just like not realizing it or not wanting to admit it right off the bat or whatever. But um, then he doesn't want to, you know, she wants to go back and talk to them, see if they'll give the money back. And he doesn't want to do that Mm -hmm. um, because he sort of has this like code of ethics of hustling, which is like kind of totally insane. Yeah, (laughs) Like given the, uh, the premise of what you're doing, but. Um, it was shocking because then when they go meet them, like, you know, here's, you know, Sydney's character sitting with all the people that he just hustled the money out of them with, yeah. you know? And in a way, it's also kind of weird because not that you would have definitely seen Sydney with these people before, but if he's this tight with this group of guys, you almost would have figured that he would have run into them like on the court already and would have known that he was friendly with them. So like from that sort of perspective, it seemed like a weird thing, but then it also like, is just like kind of like that gut punch of like, Oh, well like they can't be friends now. He just totally screwed him over, you know? And like, you know, it's like an interesting conversation between um, Rosie's character and then Sydney's wife where it's like, well, we need you to give the money back. And she's like, we're not giving you the money back because we live in this Vista view hotel and there's no Vista and there's no view and there's no view of a Vista, you yeah. know? So like, I want to get out of here and I'm trying to raise my kid and everything. So like, there's a couple times throughout the movie where they do things like that, that like really just sort of subverts the expectations of, of where they're going a little bit. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, no, it, it's, 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 it's a little strange and it's interesting. It's a, it's a, interesting sort of twist and it it almost bothers me that like billy is so willing to then partner with him again though and like keep playing with him but i guess well, i think they're like in kind of dire straits like yeah they, they set it up, and they came up with like she was gonna give her back a portion of the money and then they're gonna go play the two-on-two tournament and win it and then which was like square. for like five five grand yeah five grand then, then they'll be square yeah. so they they agree to this. Now, the funny thing that I wanted to point out was every time we see Gloria in their apartment, she's always drinking <laughs> heavily, like vodka or like a whole bottle of wine. So, I, yeah, I would say that. And then I would have another thing to add to this, too. She's like she's a big drinker and she's also like. She like jumps all over Woody like at like really like interesting and odd times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like in the middle of like when he's trying to drive the car and like can't see and things like that. I thought it was like a really like they actually have I think I counted three not like really gratuitous, but like at least seemingly again for the time, like pretty like you know, raunchy? out there, like yeah, raunchy is a good word, sex scenes that pop up. Um which felt just totally out of place, like with like the yeah. the kind of the the theme of the rest of the movie. You know what I mean? Like, I guess like again, this is why I think that that it's semi autobiographical because I feel like these elements of her drinking and their like sexual relationship 
it feels like it, it comes from somewhere else. Like it, it stems from something and why it was left in the movie with, with little explanation feels like it came from somewhere else. And it's, it's, it's something. I mean, it's interesting. Cause like in a way it like goes to like the, the, you know, who the characters are with each other. And it, you know, I, the dynamic that Woody and Rosie have together is actually like really good and feels really genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's like an interesting kind of thing, but at the same time, like it just also felt like really kind of gratuitous at different times, yeah. like where it was just like, I'm not a prude, but like it just, it just didn't seem like it really matched the rest of the style and feel of like this, like kind of like lighthearted sport comedy guys rousing each other to just like, oh, we're just going to show it <laughs> like full yeah. bore sexy. Now it was like, all right, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And it, it's, it almost, I think in a way it illustrates their sort of like volatile relationship with the two of them though. They're either really, really hot on each other or it's really, really bad. <laughs> like there's yeah. no in between. It's, it's sort of strange in that sense. Um, and I found that kind of interesting, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. But it it it's confusing. It there feels like there's certain it makes plot me holes. feel confused. Yes, <laughs> um, there there's, there's some plot holes in this story that that kind of leave you with some questions. So we get to the tournament, and the first thing I see is. In the first basketball game in the movie, there's one of the guys who's wearing a Punisher shirt. And then in the tournament, he's wearing a Spider-Man shirt. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, this has to be on purpose. There's no particular way that this just is a coincidence that that's how they did this guy's costume design. Like, there's a reason why that's there. And it, I just got a little bit of joy out of it. There's also somebody wearing like one of those old school, like vinyl Batman uh bomber jackets that that's so cool. That's, cool. that's awesome i love those nice but yeah um now this is where things get really a little bit off the rails billy is riling up all the other competitors and particularly like the best team out there and, and it gets to the point where the trash talking is funny but it's like too much it's like all right already we get it enough you're the white guy and you're being snarky and you're trying to be you know a troublemaker or whatever and it just seems like unnecessary i got it after a while it was a little annoying yeah no i definitely agree (laughs) and you know we get into the tournament and now is where you would assume there'd be like this winning montage where they're just like playing teams and whooping them or whatever and it's not really that there's like a, a short little i'd say vignette if you will but not necessarily a montage and you know the tournament is is interesting but it's not as exciting as some of the other games i feel like they played um the arguing between the people gets a little bit exhausting and takes away from the fun of the actual tournament that's spo- that I mean be. the funny part was like I couldn't quite tell where they were going with that because yeah. at first you're just like why is he so angry and like you know it's like are they doing this to mess with them and then it seems like both of them aren't 
in on it mutually together. Right. It seems they're, like they're kind of. I, I thought at first it was a, a, a gimmick the two of them were doing together, but then you find out that it's not. Like, and, well, it seems like it's like Woody's way of like psyching the people out. Like he seems to like you want to play a lot of mind games with people when he's doing it. So I guess there's like that portion of it, but the other kind of like. So, like, it, this is as good a point as any to kind of mention this. So one of the things I thought was really odd, and this is one of the things I thought was very different in a negative way from a lot of other sport films, is they kind of did this thing where they would jump in. And this goes for any of the, the you know games we've seen so far, but particularly I felt like in the tournament, because they really played it up that these two guys they were going to go up against in the end of this tournament were, like, really good players, really tough players in this whole thing. But... The way that they ended up shooting and editing a lot of the scenes tended to show the two main characters like pulling off pretty good moves. And every once in a while, like they'd show like a shot of somebody on the other team making it in or whatever. But then they'd keep doing this thing. And if you go back and watch it a third time, you'll see that they, they keep doing this where it's like they start playing and they're messing with the guys. And it's a lot of like jive talk and they're kind of messing with them. And then, like, it cuts to, like, all right, well, it's 8-9, and one more point wins yeah. the game. And it's like, well, when did that other team get to, like, eight. 9 or 8 or whatever right. the scenario is? Because we've really mostly only seen shots of, like, those two yeah. beating yeah. the snot out of them. And, you know, in a lot of other it's very sport weird. movies, yeah. again, with that underdog sort of theme, you, you tend to see, like, oh, damn, they just got scored on, and it's really tight, and it's really tight the whole game. Whereas it's like, it just didn't have that feeling for me. It was really weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. And so the funny thing about this whole tournament is, like, it's it's a big deal, but, like, my in the back of my mind, I'm like, Billy still owes the mob, like, seven grand. And if they're gonna, if they're going to win this tournament, and they're only going to split $5,000. He still doesn't have enough money to win the tournament and win the tournament, like pay off the mob and have enough money to stay in their apartment because like that money is, is sort of like they're floating money until Gloria can uh, somehow magically get onto jeopardy. And, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. It's sort of like convoluted in, in that aspect. It doesn't really jive well. Um, but well, she had some, and I never quite understood it. She had some number of like eight thousand dollars that she was trying to get to, and I wasn't quite sure what that was going to get them. Yeah, I don't know. It, the, she throws around. I know that there was like seven grand they owed to mob, but they wanted another thousand dollars to to live off of until she could get onto Jeopardy, and then oh, okay. then, yeah, then they'd that, be set for life. I guess, life, I guess. Up. <laughs> um, it adds up. So they win the tournament, and it's a little bit anticlimactic, like like, like Pete said. It's just like. All right, they go from playing the game to being at nine nine eight, then they win or whatever it was. The judges say this funny line, let's pay him and get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, like the I don't really know what the full final thinking was behind who those judges were and like what the deal was with that. But it was so cracking me up that it was like the name of the tournament was something like the brotherhood tournament or something like that. Yeah. The brotherhood tournament sponsored by like American corporations or something like that. It was some ridiculous thing. And so it was like all these like corny, like white sponsors 
I don't know. It was really weird and funny. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, like, I, I don't know if like, again, I wish I had more information if these were like friends of the director or like if there was some kind of extra in joke as to like what the deal was, or if they were just making commentary on like, here's these white corporate guys holding like a basketball tournament for these, you know, guys like in the streets of LA who were like, we don't give a shit at all about, you know, who you are and what you want from us, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It was, it was pretty funny. Yeah, it is pretty funny. And so, you know, we don't actually see them win the trophy, whatever. We, we, we can skip over that part. But basically, they're on the car ride home. And now we're in Wesley Snipes' car or, or Sydney's car, I should say. And, you know, he says, you know, you did a great job, but, you know, you can't dunk. White men can't jump. And then they say the line of the movie and Billy gets the line. They said the line. Yes. <laughs> they said it, guys. They said it. I swear. Um, and then, you know, it's it gets to this, like, point where – so Billy now gets this really hot head again. Says, oh, I could – I bet you my half of the money versus your half of the money that I can dunk, yada, yada, yada. And, and Sydney uh, is trying to, like, talk him out. Like, dude, like – you're going to lose your money, man. Just, just let it go, dude. Just let it go. You're not going to win the money. Like there's no way you're going to do it, but he won't quit. Cause like you said, he, he has to win no matter how ugly it looks. He has to win. So he finds some random basketball hoop. And he says he needs three tries to dunk. Of course he misses the three tries and he loses all the money to, to Sydney. And this is where I'm like, Sydney doesn't need to be this much of a jerk. Like, Listen, he you already screwed him once. Now you're gonna take all of his money. Like I I feel like the the better thing should have been that he like took the money and drove to their apartment and gave it to Gloria behind Billy's back and be like, Hey, listen, he screwed up, but I'm not gonna take this guy's money again. But he doesn't. He just takes the the other half of the five thousand dollars. And leaves Billy, you know, to to fend for himself. And that really bothered me in this movie. I short answer, yeah, that it kind of was a bothering sort of thing to me too. But I also have to say I was kind of confused by by several things to do with this. I felt like despite it being in the title, um, that the whole white men can't jump thing was not really built up in this. It's you know, not they, relevant they to the of, movie. It's really not relevant. Well, they kind of like kept, you know, talking about like he would pass it to him and he's like, why don't you ever like, like dunk on somebody? And he kind of kept like, you know, Woody Harrelson's character kind of keeps being like, it's showboating. It's not necessary. And I think like the, you know, at the end of the day, they were trying to make it out like, you know, Woody was trying to cover up for his inability to do this one thing. Right. Of course, he doesn't really need it. He's good at everything else. Yeah. Um, you know, with this with this sort of scene with that, and like to your point, it's almost like Sydney's like he's got everything he needs, but he now needs to like break him down again. Right. For no reason. But at the same time, he's also like, we shouldn't do this. Like you know, go buy your girl like a nice dress. Like, 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 you know, he's kind of like, he's trying to get him to like not do it while he's goading him into doing it. So it was kind of like a weird scene. Um, And I don't really ultimately get what the point of it was, except to just like slam home yet again. 
that you know he's a hothead and he blows a hothead and that he's got a gambling problem you know like to the point that like he will always choose the gambling over like you know rosie and whoever else is like whatever in his life um so i don't know it 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 just it just seemed odd to me yeah Yeah, i i agree it does it doesn't it's i don't know bothered me and and almost takes me out of the movie at a certain point. I'm just sort of like, oh, really? Here we go. So now we get this montage of Billy walking home, Gloria sitting at the table waiting for Billy with the money. And uh, Billy goes and buys a dress because uh, Sydney tells him to go buy his girl a dress, give her a pretty dress, whatever. And he gets home and he you know, admits that he blew the money again. He lost the money again. Because uh, I did it again. And she's like, what'd you do it? And, you know, we find out why Gloria is so hell bent on this Jeopardy thing. She feels it's her destiny that they're going to call her. She's going to get on Jeopardy. And this is going to this is her her calling in life. Like what, what is going to make her feel important or give her some meaning in life and get out of the rut that they've been in their whole lives. Um, so she storms out the apartment or the hotel room starts going on fire. She hitchhikes away and Billy has to go put the fire alarm out. And then as he's putting the, the fire out, the mob shows up again. They knock him unconscious and they, they haul him away. And this is where I get really confused with the mob. It's like, what is their deal? I I, I was a little bit confused. Like, and and Pete had to just clear it up for me. And I watched the movie twice in 48 hours. And I realized, oh, he's hustling for them. And I'm just like, what is – it was very confused. But now as opposed to them going to kill him and they show him pictures of other guys they've killed, uh, he says, oh, you know, give me one week and I'll get the money I owe you. Okay, great. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> sure. So – they mentioned earlier in the movie that Sydney owns like a construction company of some sort, but we never see him do any construction. I don't know if business is slow or whatever. There's, you know, who knows? Like, it could have been the economy back then. That's why they were saying that they're down in their luck. But he, pull, but he pulls into this like, you know, strip of like restaurants, whatever. And there's all these, you know, day laborers begging him for work. And he meets with a client who says he wants to do X, Y, and Z. Then Billy shows up and sort of interrupts him in this meeting and begs him, says, he's desperate. I need your help. I, I need money. I need to win the girl back. I, I need to get her on Jeopardy. I need to do it somehow. I got to figure out how to do it. And then conveniently enough, like one of the guys that was close friends with Sydney happens to be the security guard at the studios where they do all the, the game shows. <laughs> it's also the guy that hustled them a few you know, days prior. And he's like, okay, if you land this like half court hook shot, I will get your girl on the, on the soundstage or whatever and get her into the building. Never says he's going to get her on the show. He says he'll get her on the lot. Yeah. On the lot. Yeah. Which I don't know how that translates into getting on the show. Getting on the show, but whatever. <laughs> but then, boom! Cut to Gloria is on Jeopardy, and we see Alex Trebek in his prime, walking out of the stage, mustache and all. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember this part of the movie." Now here's a funny thing, right? Because 
you're recollecting it the way I'm recollecting it, which is that he has to take this shot from half court and then it cuts away and like she's made it. You know what I mean? So right. like, all right, he must have made the shot. The weird thing is in this documentary, they brought up and they showed the shot that he took. And he makes it in the movie. They show it in the movie too. Did they? Yeah, see, I felt like it cut away and I just didn't even see that. Well, fun fact, um, the very first take, would he hit the shot? Yeah. <laughs> so the reaction supposedly that they showed in this clip, which I must have just missed in general when I was watching it, is the actual genuine reaction of the people because they like couldn't believe that in the very first try on the very first shot of the day, he made it. That's cool. No, yeah, he makes it. and it, But like, Here's where where time becomes a problem in this movie. Again, he's got now six days till the mob is going to come get him. He makes the shot. Assume at best case scenario, he finds Gloria, gets her on the soundstage the next day. Now he's got five days left. There's no way she got on the show like that week. How could that be? How could that possibly happen? And whatever so you'd feel it could be several weeks before she gets on the show even if it's that season of the show who knows who knows but it's very confusing so anyway she gets on the show and she's dominating and she's winning all this money she wins like 14 grand the first day and you know he apologizes and then magically the guitar shows up again and he like plays her this song based on something that he said to her earlier. Or they had some sort of conversation earlier and they make up and they have another, you know, sex scene in this hotel called the Shangri-La. And I am going to digress for a moment and tell a little story about a Shangri-La <laughs> hotel. Oh boy. <laughs> so, when I was a kid, my parents and I used to go to Florida to visit my grandparents uh, in uh, during like spring break. And there's this hotel on the way to the, the condominium complex where they stayed uh, called the Shangri-La. And we had to stay there one night driving because it was like a big storm or something like that. Or we were leaving to go to the, ho- the airport or something. I forget exactly. But – there was this ongoing joke that like, oh, you're going to stay in the Shangri-La. It's so glamorous. And it was like this, <laughs> this like horrible dive hotel that was so terrifying. And like it was right behind a swamp. Nice. Like, As is most things in Florida. <laughs> yeah. It felt like it was the Bates Motel. My dad was so scared. He took a chair and jammed it in the door handle because you know when you used to like – drive yeah. your car up right up to the motel and yeah. then that you'd walk right in. That's what it was kind of was. So he would jam the chair into it. So we would like, we all slept in one bed as a kid. <laughs> so weird. This, <laughs> this horrifying <laughs> place called the Shangri-La. I just, when I saw it on this, this hotel, I was like, Oh my God, I got to tell the Shangri-La. Well, theirs threw me off because I know it's LA and I know that there's palm trees and things, but I thought that like when she had won, they'd gone to like Fiji or something. It looked like really pretty or something at first. And then I was like, Oh, they're just, Still in L.A. Somewhere in L.A., just staying in a hotel. And, uh, yeah, I just I wanted to share that Shangri-La story. Thank you for sharing that. You're, you're welcome. When <laughs> um, I write here, does Gloria not know? Oh, yeah. So 
So Gloria then says to him something that doesn't make any sense. She said, I told you I'd make it on this show. Like, I told you I'd get there. I told you they'd come calling. But does she not know that he got her on the lot? Or did that even happen? Or did both things happen simultaneously where they called her and he got her on the lot? Like, I, I don't understand. It's just, it's just big. It's conceivable. Yeah, it's conceivable that, like, he got them to do the call to get her onto the show somehow. I don't know. It, that whole part's less clear and I'm not sure it's ultimately so important, but I, I agree. I mean, it, it is, I don't know. There, there's some little bits of dialogue like this that I think are thrown in just to like move along the scenes. I don't think they always like add up to something. Yeah. So now they're like rollerblading and bike riding and she does this math where she figures out, you know, if I win this amount of money per week, you know, for the next couple of months or whatever, I'll make about 80 grand for the year. And then I can go on to like, you know, superstar Jeopardy or whatever it is, yada, yada, yada. And then she tells him, hey, I'm going to give you $2,000. I want you to go get yourself some new clothes, go on some job interviews and like get a job. And he's talking about wanting to join, like, summer leagues for basketball and trying to get himself back in, like, the basketball world. And he admits he's just bad with money and he's just not – he's just foolish with money. He doesn't really know how to save it and he constantly blows money. But she's like, just take this money, go get some clothes, go on some job interviews and get yourself a real job. Like, stop this basketball stuff. You just – constantly ends in heartache and you're screwing yourself and you're screwing us just do it so jump to sydney's apartment gets robbed and they took all their money all their belongings and sydney's wife is hysterical and you know begging him to get her out of this apartment building and get them into that house that she wants and got to get out of this place that she just got robbed and again it just it feels too convenient that this happened at this time. I don't know. It just Well, the weird part of this portion of the story for me, and again, they've they've alluded several times to the fact that like it, like they're staying in like a crummy yeah. place and they want to get out of there. But I almost thought they were going to make it out like the mob guys had found out that he was connected with them and they robbed him Yeah, or like some of his friends were pissed off and robbed him or something because, you know, like she's like, I know somebody in here knows what happened and they know everybody's keeping quiet. So it's almost like there's some sort of like conspiracy to what had happened. Mm -hmm. But then it was just like, no, they just happened to randomly get robbed again, just to kind of like be like, all right, we had money and now we don't have money again. And now it's Sydney coming back to him, Billy, and saying, I need you again. So, like, <laughs> I don't know. The, the, I liked this movie, but it did get really repetitive mm. in some cases with how they were handling some of these things where it's like these two guys are down on their luck constantly. And I get that. And then one of them is because it's his own fault. And he's like his own worst enemy. and He's gambling it always. The other guy just has crummy luck can't seem to get himself up like, you know, out of where he he's living and wants to get somewhere else. But it, it just kind of felt like beating a dead horse at this yeah, point. It really is. It's just like, all oh, right. Or anyway. because it's like, all right, they've, they've done the ultimate thing. They've won the ultimate 
tournament. The movie should and have been now over. what they're going to do is bring it all the way back to the very beginning of the movie. And they're going to, he has to, you know, like, it was like this, like, throwaway thing where, like, again, like, maybe these were people, like, in real life that were of some importance. But he mentions, like, the king and duck or something like yeah. that. Which we, we hear about many times in the movie is the king and the duck. And As then, being, like, these, like, two guys. Now, I assumed, especially given that the way that, like, the old timers were talking about them and the way that Woody was sort of talking about them was, like, that they were guys that used to do this like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, and just like legacies, like, yeah, like like a Wilt Chamberlain. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like somebody who had like a, like made a big name for themselves and now is like older and like, doesn't do it anymore. And then it seemed like they just were playing like two random youngish guys. And I was just like, no one's the guys. Like they kind of didn't make like a big to do about it. Like, you know, like the only way that they got in the tournament was that they had to like pony up this initial fee to even play against them. Yeah. But like, I don't know. It just, it just seemed so strange. They talked about them in such a way as if they were like like, a reverence, like, like, yeah, like untouchable guys that didn't even do. And then they're like, Oh no, it's just like these two guys and we're going to play them and we'll win, you know, like, like whatever, you know, like, I don't know. It just, it just seemed so random. Yeah, it, it, it does. Like we when we finally meet the king and the duck, like they never have a single line of dialogue in the whole movie. Yeah. Like they're just there playing these two random guys and there's not even a little like fanfare around it or whatever. Like these are guys that like everybody talks about in this community. Like these are the, the best of the best. And it, it just it's so anticlimactic that you don't even care about the game. Well, and they also try and go for this like cheap payoff with him, like winning by dunking. Yeah. And it's like, well, when did he acquire the ability to do that? Like right. the whole thing has been, he can't do that. Right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. he so he he's ago. just able to do it finally. And it looked weird too. the shot. Like it looked like, like he had jumped off like an apple crate or something. Yeah. It didn't seem like he like, you know, um, actually did it. Got on air. It seemed really weird. Like, yeah, yeah it's, it, it sort of looked like he had jumped off of something. I don't know. It was odd. Yeah. Um, so, so now, so, the, so they're going to go play the game, but right before the game, I guess like, you know, cause what happens is Sydney comes to Billy and says, Hey, we need to go play these guys. I need to make some money. We can beat them. And then my wife and I can get some money, and get out of this apartment and you can make a little bit of extra money. You can double your money. Right? So Billy throws in the $2,000, but in this time period, also Gloria sees them having this conversation and she flips out that he's going to go gamble the $2,000 away that she gave him to better his life rightfully so too like she legitimately is right in this moment like this guy is never gonna change he hasn't grown he hasn't learned anything at all he's just gonna be this guy forever and that's it and then you know literally she says the couple of lines of dialogue she says she literally said it right after i said it out loud like she's gonna tell him she loves him she's gonna say goodbye and that's it. She's going to be gone. And he can do it with the money, whatever it is. And she never wants to see him again. And you you see this and you're just like, it needed to happen. Like she needed to leave him because of the fact that if she didn't, 
both of them would just be going around and around and around in circles over and over again and never get any better. And this is what I was alluding to when I was talking about her earlier, which is that like, again, like she's portrayed to be so one dimensionally into like the jeopardy and the things like that, that finally this comes as kind of a good character twist that like the whole movie is about like these adults that are basically like adolescents. They, they, they like are so childish about, the things that they're into. And then like, finally, like something snaps for her. She's it's the last straw. And she's like, this is it. Like, yeah, this is it. Goodbye. And like, you know, it's like a really poignant moment for her and for her character. And she kind of, um, you know, on her rollerblades just kind of skates off. And when he calls after her, she puts her headphones on and she, it's like, that's it. We don't see her again. She's yeah. gone now. Like, like, and it was an, another, again, like another interesting twist. Cause you always expect like at the end of one of these sort of sport movies, the guy gets the girl and like, mm-hmm. it's a happy ending and it's, it's kind of not a happy ending with, no. with the two of them, you know? Yeah. And they return from the game. She's gone from the hotel and Sydney basically tries to be the voice of reason and says, listen, you know, she, she told you, you, you know, you, you, you sided with me. You were very easily convinced to play a game with me and gamble away the money when she begged you not to. Like, this is on you, man. Like, you made that choice. And, you know, in reality, the two main characters never really have that significant of a character change as time goes on. They don't really grow. She's the only character that really actually grows or changes in the movie to a significant extent. Sydney maybe a little bit, but up until this point, like Billy hasn't fully matured or like realized the error of his ways. But now he's got four thousand dollars. He still owes the mob seven. So the mob <laughs> guys find him. He gives him the four grand and they're good with that. They're good with four. Like, OK, great. Here's your four grand. Great. See you later. And now they fake his death. Like, <laughs> like they have him lay down. And, like, have fake blood coming out of his mouth and, like, take a picture of him as if he's dead. And Sydney's there watching it. And I'm just like, what is going on here? <laughs> so, again, it's another just, like, it's just, like, for the silliness of it, I guess. But it's a callback to essentially they showed him the photo this, album, this of photo these- album of, like, all these dead people they had killed. And you get that that's their shtick. That, like, probably these guys don't actually ever hurt anybody but their their actual thing, and it's 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 the one thing that again, why I was saying there's a little twist that takes the one dimensionality out of the mob guys, is that they probably actually never genuinely hurt anybody, right? But they use this dopey album gimmick to like you know make it, but like it makes no sense because presuming that they're going to keep traveling within this like kind of like hustling and basketball sort of thing, like other people will know about him and know that he's still alive. I don't know. It was very silly. It was just like yeah. a very like, like there's times where like they sweep the rug out from under themselves in this otherwise kind of serious take on this movie, you know? So like, it was just like, it just became a cartoon for a minute there. <laughs> like it was, in, it was just so goofy. In many times I thought this movie could not make sense in today's world because the internet and social media, like if there was these two great basketball players hustling everybody, they'd know. They'd see the hustle on social media. <laughs> and then if like the guy looks like he got killed and then you see him like playing basketball, we're like, wait a minute. He was dead on the news. And now he's not, yeah. I don't understand. It's weird. But anyway, so the mob leaves and 
they're basically like, oh, look, we can get back into society now that you're dead or whatever. Who knows? And then, you know, Sydney kind of, they have a conversation and basically says like, you know, Gloria's not coming back. Like she's done, she's really done this time. And he's like, maybe you're better off without each other. Like you just might be better off without each other. And he's right. He's 100% right. And Billy sort of realizes the error of his ways, but like, you can't fully believe that this guy's going to change. You just don't. Yeah, not at all. Like, he's not going to grow. He asks Sydney for a job working in construction. But, like, you know, the first paycheck he's getting from this guy, he's going to gamble it away somehow. And yeah, I mean, that's what's so interesting is where this movie kind of ends off is they kind of lead you to believe, like, I'm, I'm going to ask him for this job in construction. Maybe, you know, these two are like going to be friends now. They're going to continue with their thing. But, like... They've never really earned their friendship. friendship. You know, it's really been more like a case of two guys that know that they can use each other to yeah. a mutual gain. You know, like like Sydney would never have come back to him and asked him to spend that two thousand dollars under the auspices that Gloria had won that it was theirs. Like. He's still the same guy. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he'll go back and and because he knows Billy is going to go for the game again. Yeah. He knows that he's going, he he like has to win and that he can turn him again. And so like, you know, again, like and maybe this is like a fun thing to, you know, think about for a minute is like what happens in white men can't jump too. You know what I mean? Like, like where does it go from here? I mean, basically, like you said, both of these two main characters show no character growth over the course of this movie. They're just repeating the yeah. same things for different um, higher stakes each time yeah. until it finally blows up in their, in their faces, you know? Um, and in a way I'm almost sad that they ended up kind of better off at the end of this film. I mean, like arguably you can say that, um, you know, Billy's not necessarily better off cause he's lost his better half. And all the money again. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, he's kind of back to like, you know, square one with that again. But um, yeah, I mean, like the movie ends where it begins, except Gloria has made it. You know what right. I mean? Like, like Gloria achieved her goal. Gloria got where she wanted to be. We don't really know that Sydney and his wife are anywhere better off. Like, you know, presumably $4,000 isn't enough to have gotten them out of you know, the place they were in because they I mean, already had $5,000 and they were still there, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's very confusing. Yeah. It's like, is that enough? Like, is that what they needed? I don't know. And it's just, I feel like the same thing. It's going to be around and around they go. And if there was a white men can't jump two that wasn't money train, I feel like they'd get themselves in trouble in a game and get killed. That's, I think they like, someone would get pissed off at them for hustling people and, Billy would get killed because he's just yeah. too hot, too hot headed, and I feel like he would have just got you know gotten shot because it just feels like that would be what happens. Beyond that, you know, I think it's an enjoyable movie. I don't love it as much as I thought I did when I was a kid. Like I feel like I have a different perspective on it now because I look at this and I see like these two characters haven't really grown, and that bums me out a little bit. Uh, it's a fun movie. It's a different kind of sports movie, if you want to even call it a sports movie. Um, but overall, it's it's decent. And I, I didn't hate having to watch it twice. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, likewise kind of take to what you have on it. Um, 
it's better than I thought it would be. Um, but at the same time, kind of to your point, like it's not like a laugh a minute comedy. It's not that stereotypical sport movie. It's kind of some weird little thing that lives in the murk between and it's completely watchable. I think the moments where it shines are more moments where they're like really kind of like going after each other and like digging at each other. Like the basketball in and of itself, like is nothing that we probably haven't seen done or done better in maybe other basketball movies, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, sort of things. So like, like I said, there's nothing that was like really like, Oh my God, this is like life changing basketball we're watching here. And especially given like what I said before, where it was always this scenario where it was like, our guys are doing real good, real good, real good, but they're also losing by a point at the mm-hmm. last moment. Like it, it just kind of was like the basketball was like almost like an afterthought for me. Yeah. This. For me, it was more fun. The interaction sort of the, the race differences and kind of what they were talking about back and forth with that. Um, somewhat some of the relationships the characters have, I don't know. It was just kind of like a weird movie and it was yeah. fine. It was good. It was funny. Um, I probably wouldn't seek it out again. Um, but it, you know, I did enjoy like, you know, watching it. And, and um, again, like I think there's, there's moments in this movie that are like really well worth watching it for, if not the movie yeah. on the I, whole. I feel like the plot overall is a little bit flat. Um, you know, it, I don't, again, I don't care as much about the basketball stuff as I do their relationship. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I do like the movie and I do like the two leads, but it, like you said, I don't know if I need to watch it again kind of thing. So that's my thoughts. There you have it. So, so what do we got coming up? What's what's going on? Okay, so here we go. I, I could see this next month as being a likewise but possible improvement to the <laughs> white man can't jump of things because right at the top of this list, I see Lethal Weapon 3. Yes! <laughs> yes. Too old for this shit. <laughs> you know? Um, so I, again, I think we've got, um, some interesting movies here and I would actually put four of these movies onto a list. So tell me what you're thinking if you want to veto any of these, but here's what I would put onto this list. I'm ready. Lethal Weapon 3, Alien 3, Far and Away, and Encino Man. I would, I would put all four of those up into the vote. (laughs) I, I agree. I, I, I second that, that nomination. I don't see Far and Away or Encino Man making it too far, but these were movies that I definitely enjoyed back when. <laughs> yeah. um, I probably watched Encino Man too many times on VHS, arguably like more than once or maybe even once is too many times. So maybe I, I, I watched this too, too many times. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit this, and this is probably going to be to my detriment. I am going to pray that Alien 3 does not win because I the Alien movies scare the <laughs> That's not necessarily where I thought you were going with that. I'm going to pray that Alien 3 doesn't necessarily make it because in my mind it's probably one of the weakest of all the Alien yes. movies. If I'm remembering this one correctly. I think this is oh, the yeah, one this that is- has the, uh, yeah, it's the prison one. Um, for my money, Alien is amazing. I think I tend to like Aliens better. 
again, we can talk about all this stuff when we get into it um, yeah. next week. It probably makes a lot more sense. But um, those are going to be the options. I will put the poll back up, let the listeners decide, because I, I'll I'll do any of these things. I, I think Lethal Weapon 3 would be fun to do, but yeah. um, let's let's see what people come back with. I'm curious. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just going to hope that they don't go with Alien 3. But what so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be pulling hard. I'm gonna be lobbying hard for Lethal Weapon Three or Encino Man. <laughs> Put that out there. So yeah. Anyway, um, as always, check us out on our social media, which is Twitter Box Office T H I R T Y and Facebook Box Office Thirty Three Zero and Twitter Box Office Thirty Three Zero. You can also go to our website boxoffice30.com and check out any of our back episodes. Uh, we also, as always, like to shout out Mickey and Jason from the Retro Network who give us a home for our podcast and give us a platform for let you folks listen to us babble on about movies twice a month and have a great time you know, hanging out and talking. So we always appreciate Jason and Mickey. Thank you guys so much. And thank you to everybody in the Retro Network community and the Slack channel and so on and so forth. We really appreciate, you know, all the, the fanfare and such that goes with it. Ditto. <laughs> that was deep and, and very <laughs> profound, sir. That was like, oof. Man, yep. Churchill, Pete Labrosi. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, anywho, um, so this was fun. It was a good conversation. And it wasn't terribly long, other than a little bit of, babble in the beginning for about 15 minutes yes so kudos to us for that um any final thoughts do you have your cards or whatever or do or uh, that... let's skip that this time <laughs> fair enough let's he doesn't know where they are folks that's what it is they're here i'm just yeah let's save that for the other things because we're killing those comedy cards off okay yeah, so that's going to wrap it up for us um, for this review. Uh, if you liked it, let us know. Um, throw us a, a, a bone over on um, Apple Podcasts. Throw us a freaking bone, will you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, give us give us a five star rating. Come on, you can do it. Um, tell some friends about the podcast. We just want to get the word out there. Um, we so enjoy when people are listening to it. That's why we are making it for you guys to listen to. So, um, again, thank you very much to everybody, and we will see you in two weeks. Bye, everybody. Bye, friends. I am not going to Sizzler. (laughs) (laughs) Where is Sizzler? (laughs) This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.